Thank you for joining us today for our Restoration Church podcast. This is the fifth in our United series, and it is titled Taste and See. We hope you enjoy. A man was walking down the, the beach one day, and he found a bottle. It was an old bottle. It was like a, you know, a, a colored glass, and he couldn't really see what's in it. And he looked around and didn't know what it was, and he thought it was just a message, right? So he opens it up, and poof, out pops a genie. Yeah, these are great stories, right? Genie stories. But the genie was like, oh, gosh, what time is it? He's like, it's a Sunday, you know, and about 3 o'clock. And he's like, oh, I'm late for a meeting. About 10,000 years late for a meeting, but um, I, I can give you one wish. I usually do three, but I'm really late. I need to give you one wish. He's like, oh, okay, uh, one wish. Well, I, I'm, I'm scared of flying, and I get claustrophobic at boats, and I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. So could you just build a road from California to Hawaii? And the genie thought, that's an interesting request. Like, can I just, like, take away your fear of flying? Wouldn't that be easier? Uh, and he's like, wow, I'm really running behind, you know, 10, 12,000 years. How long have I been in that bottle? And he's like, uh, I guess, no, I can't do that. I cannot make a road to Hawaii. I mean, think about the, the amount of concrete and the rebar and how deep the pillars would have to be to reach the bottom of the ocean. It's just that's, you know, I'm a genie, phenomenal cosmic power, eedy be living space. But, I mean, like, I only can go so far, right? Thank you. You got it. A um, few people with the Disney fans. All right, so... Um, Give me, another, give me another wish. You get one, just give me another wish. And he said, okay, well, um, I'm out here on the beach, kind of mourning the loss of another relationship. Um, I've never really been able to, to get the women that I date. I've never been able to say the right thing or fully know what's going on in their hearts or been sensitive enough to have good conversations. So why don't you just give me the ability to understand women? And the genie said, would you like that road to be two lanes or four lanes? <laughs> right? Um, any guys? Amen? All right. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to build a lot of roads to Hawaii. Um, we know that genies don't exist. We know that uh, the idea of getting three wishes, that we can do anything we want to in the world, it's, it's, it is a fairy tale. It's a Disney tale. It's a, it's a fun thing to think about. But we do know that there is a God that exists that has phenomenal cosmic power. And lives in an itty-bitty living space, right? I mean, like, we, we get that. We know that there's a God that can do all things. And um, Paul, in Ephesians, starts to talk to this God as, as if he could approach him with absolute confidence and ask anything. Right? So today we're going to be in chapter 3 of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on, turn to chapter 3. We're going to be focusing in on chapter 14, uh, sorry, verses 14 through 21, but we're going to start by kind of summarizing 1 through 13, okay? <clears throat> 1 through 13 is actually a summary of chapters 1 and 2, right? I mean, Paul is once again calling the attention to the fact that we were, we had this one before picture, and now in Christ we have a second picture, that all the Gentiles and the Jews have been brought together in one body, and that, that God had this plan that through this one body, the manifold witness of God would be portrayed to all, all peoples, all rulers, all kingdoms, in the heavens and on earth, and that he was going to bring together this body of people, this unique, diverse, beautiful body of Christ, the church, and then glorify himself with it. And then Paul has this little rant in verses 13 where he's like, and now I'm in prison, and, or now I'm suffering for you, and don't, don't worry, I know I'm suffering, but I'm suffering well. And then in verse 14, he starts off with this. Therefore, 
And every time you see in Scripture there's a therefore, you always ask what? What is it there for? Nicely done. I love it. Um, we start off with this word therefore, or for this reason, as it might say in some of your translations. For this reason. And the, the for this reason goes back to this idea of the gospel. Like, because uh, that you were dead in your sins, because you were slaves to your sins, because you were um, enslaved to your passions, because you were enemies of God, but then God, because of his great love with which he loved us and the grace in which he has, because he made you alive, because he lifted you up, because he adopted you and gave you access to the throne, because of the gospel, therefore, for this reason, I bow my knees. And he begins to pray for the people of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesus, sorry, not Ephesians, <laughs> Ephesus. And he starts to pray for them. And he comes to God with this bold confidence to ask him four things. Right? And, and the kneeling is kind of important. Uh, traditionally, you wouldn't pray kneeling. Right? Usually in Scripture, when you see people praying in a, in a, in a supply, an, if a laid down position or on their knees, it's because they're overwhelmed by something. They're overwhelmed with joy. They're overwhelmed with grief. They're, over, they're just astonished at what's going on. So their body position shows just their passion. Their, their excitement or their overwhelmed nature. And so this prayer that we're going to see today in 14 through 21 is Paul's passionate plea to God for the Ephesians. For the, yeah, for the Ephesians. I'm going to mess that up six or seven times, so everybody hold me accountable to it. He bows his knee. So join me in reading this text, and we're going to see these four things that he asked God to give the Ephesians as he prays for them with passion. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom which every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that's interesting, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, the strength, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know that the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There are four things there that Paul asked for. Number one, strength to, to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner man. Number two, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Number three, that we might grasp the love of Christ. And number four, that we be filled with the fullness of God. So it's kind of interesting. Does any of those four things seem odd for Paul to be praying for the Ephesians now? After he'd already explained the gospel, is it odd that he'd be asking for those four things? It kind of is when you think about it. Because he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people that have already have the indwelling Holy Spirit. That are already have Christ in them, and they're in Christ, right? He's made this huge argument that we are in Christ, in the body of Christ, and that Christ is in us. He's already talked about being full of God, that we are, we are adopted, we are made, made sons and daughters. We are lifted up in the high places. We have the full access and privilege of God now. It's, it's just kind of strange that he's asking for four things that the Christians in Ephesus already have. But he's asking for them at a, diff, at a deeper level. That kind of a next level mentality. He's asking that what they know would become what they experience. What they know they would become what they experience. So strengthen your inner being uh, and your inner man with the power through his spirit. So inner man is gender neutral. It doesn't mean only men have inner man, right? So across the board, ladies, you have an inner woman. 
So, but we're just going to say inner man because that's what the text says. So we're just going to use those words today. But if I'm say inner man, I'm talking about everybody. Okay, so strengthen. Strengthen. What does it mean to strengthen? To build up, to fortify, to make able to carry a load. Right? Think about it that way. As, as we, if we go to the gym and we lift weights, we're getting more fit to be able to carry the load of our body. Right? Or to carry the load of a backpack. Or to carry things to, for your wife to the garden. Right? Whatever it is. Or, or things, groceries into the house. I don't know. Whatever it is. Whatever you carry. You're strengthening your body to carry a load. In the inner man. What is your inner man? Your inner man is your soul. It's your essence. It's, it's more than just um, like a spirit. It's your mind. It's your will. It's your, your personhood. It's everything about you is your inner man. And your inner man is drastically changed now, right? Because the gospels, according to, to, to Paul in, in Ephesians 1 and 2, we were dead and then we were made alive. So now we have this living inner essence made alive in Christ. And then to, um, to strengthen comes via the power of his spirit. We all possess the spirit of God as believers, but now we have the ability to experience his work in us. That's what Paul's asking that we would experience the work of God in our, in our essence, in our soul. The Spirit of God brings us to life, and the Spirit of God sanctifies us. This, this being strengthened in our inner man is actually asking God to make us holy. That's, that's what he's getting at, right? It's like, I want you to take away the weak parts of faith, to take away the struggles of sin, take away the parts of the flesh that battle and try to destroy. Take those away and strengthen the inner man into the identity of who Christ says you are. It's one thing to know the implications of the gospel. It's one thing to know that the Holy Spirit lives you in you. It's a totally different thing to experience the presence of God in you. It's a totally different thing to experience the process of sanctification. To be brought to life in various areas of sin in your life. To, to, to see um, struggles of the flesh become, to, to see the power you have over those struggles in your flesh. And to experience victory in areas of your life that you've been struggling in. There's a difference between having something being true of you and experiencing it in your inner man. And that's what Paul's asking. It's, it's possible as Christians to live weak lives, to, to, to be weak in our inner man. Right? It's possible in, as Christians to come to church and to read the Bible and gain a whole bunch of inner information and, and to fill our minds with, with stuff, but not ever experience the fruit of that stuff. Right? You, can, you can be full of knowledge and lack experience. And when we're full of knowledge and lack experience in the Holy Spirit, we, we have weak faith. Right? When, when trials come or, or we, get, we undergo sickness or, or struggles, we start to doubt. Right? And we, we don't just doubt like a normal doubt. We start to think, well, God doesn't love me. He's not with me. Am I really even saved? And we go back and we make another confession of faith. And we go through this process of, I must not have the Holy Spirit because, God, you're not showing up. We can know all the stuff, but to experience it in our inner being is a totally different scenario. Dwight Moody, anybody know who Dwight Moody is? Pastor in Chicago. He, he went on a trip to New York one time, and in his journal he wrote that he was there and he started feeling the presence and the power of God in his life. And it was so overwhelming. The beauty of the love of Christ was so overwhelming that in his journal he asked God to stay his hand. He asked God to stop loving him for a second. It was too much. It's too much to see this. It's too much to bear the beauty of your grace towards me. Have you ever had one of those moments? Have you ever had one of those moments where God is just way, way, way too much? And you have to ask him, can you pull back a little bit because I can't bear this. 
I want to experience those moments. I think I maybe had one in my entire life. And I didn't journal about it, so I don't remember it very well, right? But I mean, I don't journal. But I mean, like, how cool would it be to be strengthened in our inner man to the point in our soul and our essence to where we felt the palpable presence of the Holy Spirit working us every day, that we were overwhelmed with the love and the grace and the mercy of God to the point that we had to say every day, God, just hold on, I can't take anymore. I can't take anymore. That's what Paul is asking of the people of, for Ephesus. That's what he's asking when he says he's looking for God to strengthen them in their inner man. Lost my page. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Paul is pleading with the disciples of Jesus to have a strength from the experience, an experience of, of the Spirit of God. Imagine if you were, uh, I told you, like Christians, we can, we can live our lives completely um, apart from this experience, but with lots of knowledge, right? We can, we can go to Bible studies, we can be a part of the church, we can go on mission trips and completely like this experience. It's kind of like this. Imagine if you were really young and you had a rich uncle that died. And they put millions of dollars in a trust fund for you, right? And because your parents didn't want you to be raised as a spoiled brat, they didn't let you know that the trust fund existed. So they raised you apart from that. And then you got, you, so somewhere, you know, in high school, your parents said, yeah, there's some money put away for you to go to college, you know, or if you, you ever struggle or something, figure it out. But you forget about it. You have the knowledge, but then you start forgetting how to apply that knowledge, right? And, and you grow up, and you go to school, and you get on college loans, and, and you get you know, debt from living expenses because you got your master's degree or whatever it is you're doing, and you start to realize, I'm in a lot of debt. And you begin to live poor, right? You begin to struggle for where your food's going to come from or how are you going to pay your rent. All the while, you have a trust fund of millions of dollars waiting for you. You have access to all the resources you could possibly imagine. That, that's kind of what it's like. It, it's, we have this, this, the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God working in us, and we can experience the, the power and the sanctification of God in us through the Spirit of God, but we can know about it or we can taste it, right? We can know about it or we can taste it. So here's the second thing. This makes, uh, if, we, if we live without access to this power, if we live poor spiritual lives and weak, then it makes us ineffective in our witness, and also, when the struggles come, we're likely to lose faith, right? If we don't access this power, we're likely to lose faith. So Paul asks the second thing. Strengthen them in their inner man so that Christ may dwell in them by faith. Christ may dwell in us by faith. Paul prayed that we would be strengthened so that we could, be, we could live with Christ by faith. Once again, if you are a Christian, Christ is in you, right? He has made his home in you. You are a temple of God. You are, we, are, we are the temple of God being built up, and you are individually a temple, the dwelling place of God. So Christ already dwells in you. So what does it mean for Christ to dwell in us by faith? Paul writes this when he was in prison, right? We talked about this last week. He, this is a prison epistle. He was taken to jail because he dared to let the gospel impact his life. When we let Christ dwell in us by faith, it means that we let our knowledge become our action. We don't, we don't just know a lot of things. We begin to let what we believe become how we live. It starts to change every aspect of us. To let Christ dwell in us by faith means that we let him in and let him change us and sanctify us. And we open up uh, the areas of our struggle so that he makes us more like himself. But Paul did this, right? The reason he's in jail is because he took a Gentile past the dividing wall. 
right? He understood the gospel to the point where he said, Gentiles have access to the, to the Father. So he went to the temple with them, and he took a Gentile past the dividing wall. He, he knew he wasn't supposed to do it, but he knew the gospel more. He knew the power of the gospel to redeem and to give us access to God. And so he lived by what he knew to be true, not by what the world told him is true, right? So this is, this is what it means to let Christ dwell in you by faith. Faith is a discipline. It's an exercise. It's the ability to trust in the power of Jesus as Lord over every aspect of our lives. And like every muscle in our body, if we don't exercise our faith, it'll get weak. And if it gets weak, we won't be able to bear the load of suffering, right? Paul says to them in, in verse 13, don't worry, I know I'm suffering, but I got Christ. For this reason, because of the gospel, right? If we, if we let Christ dwell in us by faith, when our suffering comes, when our identity is questioned, when people challenge us to who we think we really are, when our enemy tries to convince us that we're not loved by God, when the, the, the repetitive sin struggles happen in our life and we think we're always gonna be defeated, when we let Christ live in us by faith, we have victory over those things. But if we just know that Christ lives in us, but we don't live by faith, we don't put into what we know into action, then we, we can't bear the weight, right? We can't bear the weight. God's, uh, the way that we do this is the way we take hold of this power in Christ in us and we live by faith is through the word of God, right? I mean, it's not just common knowledge about how God wants to change us. He revealed everything in the word of God. Right, so as we study the word of God, as we pour into it, we need the revelation of truth to teach us how God wants to change us. And then when we know what he wants to do with us, we have to submit to it and let him live in us by faith. We have to put what we know into action. God's word and our discipline study is essential to both being strengthened by the Holy Spirit and having Christ live in us by faith. And as we study God's word, we're able to see the expanse of God's love for us, which leads us to the third request that we might be able to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the width of Christ's love for us. Look at verse 18. That they may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. There's an interesting word there, comprehend. Some of your translations might use a different word. It's grasp. Anybody's translation use grasp? You're reading? Sweet, grasp. Grasp is a, is, a, is a better translation of the Greek. And the grasp, it, it's to take hold of, right? It's not just to get or to get a bigger picture of. It's to really take hold of. It's to, to, to um, taste and see would be to grasp, right? When I was, uh, when I was let's see, what, how was that? I was in elementary school. During the summer, a local uh, middle school had uh, what they called summer summer ventures or summer projects or whatever, and you could go and take a bunch of classes in different areas of study, right? And so it was like four weeks, you'd go and learn woodworking or photography, or you could take acting. In four weeks, you had to learn lines and put on a play. Um, well, I thought photography would be cool, so I went and took a photography class. And what did we make like in three days once we were there? We made a pinhole camera. Anybody ever make a pinhole camera? Get an old Quaker Oats tube, you know, like a little canister of Quaker Oats. You don't eat the Quaker oats. You pour them out. And you take the tube, right? And, um, and you get this specially sensitized paper, right? Chemically treated paper. What's it called? Photo paper, right? <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, this is trick questions, right? Photo paper. And you take this photo paper and you tape it in this, inside this tube. And then you'd seal up the tube and you'd put 
uh, a pinhole in the front of the, in the, like right on Quaker's eyes, right? Like, bloop, right in his eyes. And, um, and then you cover that with a, sheet of pa- with a sheet of paper, and you do all this in the dark room, right? Because you don't want any light to hit that, that paper, especially sensitized to grab light, to grasp an image. And you'd go out, and you'd, um, you'd stand, you'd say, I want to take a picture of this beautiful couple. And I would open up, and I'd stand there for like 30 seconds. I'd be like, stop moving. You're ruining your picture, right? And um, so you'd usually take pictures of trees or things that don't move because you had to, you had to hold it for like the, the, the time that the, the light had to get into that little pinhole and hit that paper. It took a little while, right? But when the, at the end of it, you went and you put it through another chemical treatment, and what came out? A picture, a photo. Because the paper, the photo paper was treated. It was sensitized to grasping of image. And it permanently implanted it on that paper. And then when it was treated with a different chemical, with a trial, with um, a little suffering, the picture came out. Right? So to, to be able to grasp the love of God, the width and the depth and the breadth and the height, to be able to grasp that, we have to have the first two things. We have to be strengthened in our inner man with the Spirit and have Christ dwelling in the Son by faith. And when we have those two things, our hearts and our spirits are sensitized to God's work. Right? So that when, when we see how God wants to move, we start to take hold of that image. And then when the trials and the suffering comes through, that image can come through and we begin to live by it. Right? Live by faith. Paul had taken hold of the gospel in a way that helped him endure suffering, persecution, imprisonment. And it was important, it, sorry, it was imprinted on his soul and his mind so that when suffering came, he was able to endure. He, he had been synthesized by the Spirit and he grabbed hold and he grasped the love of God. And there was nothing in this world that could take him out. He held on to it. And then when he was challenged, he lived by faith. He let Christ dwell in him by faith. There's... Paul is asking this, this grasp the love of Christ. It means more than just know, right? He wants you to experience the love of Christ. He wants you to taste it. John, Jonathan Edwards in The Divine and Supernatural Light, in one of his sermons, he, uh, or I think it was a book, he, he wrote there's, there's two ways to know about honey, right? You can study honey. You can look at honey. You can watch other people eat honey. You can know a lot. Or you can taste honey, right? You can put it in your mouth, and you can flavor it, and you can take it in, and you can let it, you know, make you really super excited that you're eating good honey. Anybody like honey? Right, so we have a very minority of people who like honey. All right, all you other people need to get saved. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Um, honey's good stuff, right? You You can know about it, or you can taste it. To comprehend, to grasp the love of God means to taste it. And when you taste it, Christ dwells in us through faith. When you taste it, your inner man is being strengthened and you're knowing. Have you ever tasted the depth and the height and the love of Christ? Have you ever tasted the width, the breadth? Have you ever tasted the love of Christ? Have you had that experience? If if the answer is no, I'm not sure, then I want to ask yourself a different question. In In the time of struggles, and and when you struggle in your life, when when there are trials and temptations, do you doubt that God has a great love for you? When, when we can taste the Spirit of God, we can endure those sufferings without doubt. It can change the way we look at our suffering. We can know that God is with us. He has not abandoned us. 
If the answer is yes, if you tasted it, then you may know God's love. But sorry, if the answer is yes, you've experienced it, but you, have you tasted it to its fullest? Do you know the flavor of his love to the point where it causes you to share it with others? Right? I got a cousin who makes honey. Every Thanksgiving, he brings piles of honey, shares it with others. He knows it's good honey. He shares it with us. Right? To experience it means to share it. Finally, Paul wants the, the, the people of Ephesus to be filled with the fullness of God. To be filled with the fullness of God. This is not uh, the first time. Th- this is the first time in a series of ideas where it kind of culminates in Ephesians 5.18. Right? It's a very common uh, memorized scripture. It's uh, do not be filled with wine, but do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? And often when we think of Ephesians, we think that's the first time that Paul is talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we go and we study that text. But Paul is building a case throughout all of Ephesians that the fullness of God is the, is the Spirit. That this, this idea of being strengthened in your inner man, letting Christ dwell with you, and tasting and, and seeing the fullness of the love of God is having the fullness of God in us and living in it. To be filled with the fullness of God means that we're not lacking any resource, any power, any access to Him through faith, which is, um, it's unlimited. When our inner man is strengthened in the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is not just intellectual, but practically living in us by faith. We're able to taste and grasp the love, then we are being filled with the fullness of God. It's the culmination of the first three requests. It's in, it's in this area where we experience the authority of, and the compassion and the grace and the lordship of Christ in every area of our life. There's nothing off, off limits to him. Not our identity, not our sexuality, not our marriages, not our business practices, There's nothing that we take away and separate from him and say, you can't be Lord over. To be filled with the fullness of God means to be completely ravaged by the glory of God in your life. That you submit in every aspect of your life to his lordship. You don't just call him savior, you call him king. To be filled with the fullness of God means that he's he's sanctifying us in every aspect. He's making us holy. He's bringing up our dirt and then washing it with the blood of Christ. And making us holy. Why can we do this? Why are we able to let him in and allow him into all these different areas of our life? Why would we let him speak on our marriage? Why would we let him speak to our friendships or our business practices, our identity, our sexuality, our passions? Why do we even let him do that? Because we've grasped his love. Because we've tasted what he is for us. That he is for us, he's not against us. That's the fullness of God. He's in us, he loves us, he wants to fill us. Are there areas in your life that are not filled with the fullness of God? It's a question for you to ask yourself today. Are there areas of your identity where you don't really believe you're a child of God? We can sing that song, we don't, we don't know if it's necessarily true. Are there areas that, that don't jive well with the word of God and cause tension in your relationship with him? Is your inner man strong enough to bear the weight of suffering, persecution, trial, of sickness, and the storms of this life? Do you have an anchor? When things are not going well, do you really believe that God is for you? If not, if that's if if, if there's if there's not this an absolute like foundation of the love of God for you and the fullness of God, I want to give you two skills that will help you cultivate that in your life. 
Okay, two skills that, um, this is not a, an end-all, be-all list. It's just two simple skills that can help us to be strengthened in our inner man, to live with Christ by faith, or let Christ live in us by faith, to taste his love, and to be filled with the fullness of God. The first one is meditation. The first one is meditation. Now, when you hear the word meditation, uh, anybody do yoga? Right? So, I mean, in yoga or in meditation, the idea is what? Empty, right? Empty yourself. Breathe deeply and come to a place of peace, like empty yourself. Well, Christian meditation is completely opposite, right? The scripture says if you want to meditate, fill your mind. Fill yourself up with the word of God, right? Meditation is slightly different there. Um, this word grasp is a, we go back to this word grasp. The actual, uh, one of the translations for the word grasp that Paul used in 18 is to wrestle, to sack, or to plunder, Think about this. It's to sneak up beside somebody and ambush them and knock them out. Right? To grasp, to take hold of them. So it doesn't mean that we wrestle with God. It means that we wrestle with our flesh, with our inner man. It means we sneak up on our sin and we take it and we kick it out of our life. Right? We beat it up. We take hold of it. That's what it means to grasp the love of God. That means what it means to, to grasp the truth of God through meditation. We must wrestle with the truth in the the truth in the deepest parts of our body, in our souls, our hearts, our minds. We have to let the effects of, of, of the Word of God be in every facet of ourself, every part of us. It means meditation is not just reading a verse or two and then trying to memorize it and walk away. Meditation is wrestling with yourself, right? So a, a, a quality time with God, a quiet time with God, it, it may mean a verse or two. You may have to wrestle with a verse or two. But it, it, this is how we do it. We listen. First, we listen, right? Christ has the authority. We don't come to the word of God and say, let me tell you how I'm going to live my life. Oh, yeah, that works. So I'll just leave with that, right? We listen. The first thing we do is got to listen. God, what do you want to tell me today? What do you want to speak to me that is true about myself that you're revealing? We listen. And then we talk to God about it. We pray, right? We have this continual attitude of prayer and meditation, so we, fill our, our, we listen to God's word. We fill our minds with the word and the truth of God. We talk to God about it, and then we wrestle with our flesh. We apply it to ourselves. We wrestle with it, and we fight with it. The other day, my mom called me. She's reading a book um, that is challenging her. And she said, what do you know about this author? She gives me this guy's name. And I'm like, well, he's pretty biblical. I mean, he's a pretty good pastor. I used to listen to him. He's leading a mission board now. He's like, he's... He's a solid guy. He knows the steps and he handles the word of God well. And she goes, well, I'm, I'm struggling with him. Because it's, the book's called Countercultural. And it's like, well, there's probably a reason you're struggling. The book's called Countercultural, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, it's challenging our culture. It's like everything that we feel comfortable with. And he's like, she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm wrestling with it. It's hard to read some of this stuff. My mom was meditating on the word. She told me that she spends hours, at least like two hours per chapter doing all the Bible study for her, her group that she goes to. And I'm like, wow, mom, you're more disciplined than I've ever been. That's impressive. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with this stuff. But, like, but she was meditating on the word of God. She was allowing the word of God to speak to her, for her to talk back to him and say, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I like this or what does this mean or can I trust this guy? And then she was wrestling internally. Do I go back and keep listening to this? This is challenging. Do I go back to the, I was about ready to throw in the towel at this Bible study. It was just, ugh. Well, keep going back. Let God's word challenge you. And she's like, yeah, that's probably what I'm going to do. But I mean, she's meditating. It was so encouraging. My mom was teaching me to meditate. 
got to spend two hours doing Bible study now. No, I'm just kidding. No requirement on time. The point is, is that she listened, she talked, and then she wrestled with herself. She didn't try to tell God to get on board with her. She, she said, how do I get on board with you? This is meditation. The second skill um, in order to be filled with the fullness of God, and it's just as important, is that we've got to engage in Christian community. Look, look back at verse 17, 18, and 19. Pull up your Bibles, look back real quick. So, be strengthened in your inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, right? Rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all, all knowledge. In order to fully get a grasp on the love of God, and to let him sanctify you, we have got to be with all the saints. There's got to be a Christian community in your life. We talked about this last week. God joined two completely opposing races, Jews and Gentiles, to make one body, to have one beautiful, diverse kingdom, one, one church. And in all those people, the Gentile experiences and the Christian, I mean the Jewish experiences, there were different cultures that developed. There were different understandings of the applications of grace. There were different understandings of the truth of how God's word applied to their life. And when they came together, they got a fuller picture of who Christ was. If we want to, to comprehend, to grasp, and be strengthened in our inner man, the best way to do that, one of the best ways to do that, is in Christian community. It's not the only way. It's just a major way that Christ works. And Paul saw the importance of this. He said, I don't want you to grasp this on your own. It's not a lone wolf thing. I want you to grasp it with all the saints. In restoration, we, we say intimacy with God through intimacy with one another. It's not supposed to be this hedonist, humanistic mentality that it all starts with us, right? That you can't access God unless you have intimacy with other people. That's not, that's not what it means. It means that God works in his body to reveal himself. So that we know the love of God. It starts with him. It always starts with him. Intimacy with God is the goal. And that he uses the body of Christ in depth groups, in accountability, in discipleship, in studying the word together, in wrestling with our flesh together. He uses that body to bring to life the flavor of his love for you so that you can taste it. You can grasp it. And then he lets you dwell, and then, and then Christ dwells in us by faith as we go on mission together. And we take what we know and we start to live it out. As we, as we love our wives and our husbands differently, as we take care of our children, as we, as we care for our coworkers and, and listen to their suffering and walk alongside them, as we go out and we share the flavor of God's good love, as we share the gospel and we live on mission, we don't do it by ourselves. We do it in community. Because in community, we can comprehend, we can grasp the fullness of God's love and experience the fullness of his presence. So the two skills I want you to think about um, like working on or developing in your life are meditation and Christian community. Both of them require intentionality. Both of them, the enemy hates, right? He wants to distract you with everything he can to keep you from meditating on the word of God. So he gives you 50,000 things to do at work and 100 things to do at home and at least three TV shows you got to catch up on Hulu. You know, he'll, he'll figure out 
plenty of things to keep you distracted so that you don't meditate on the Word of God, that you don't wrestle with your flesh. He would much rather you just say, I took my two my Bible verses, I'll call God in the morning. Right? I mean, like, he would much rather us be there. And he doesn't want us living in community. So, when we offend one another, we walk away. When we, when we hurt one another, somebody says something instead of drawing close and, and expressing the forgiveness and the grace we've received back from Christ, we, we cast judgment and we start to divide. It's all a work of the enemy to keep us from grasping the height and the depth and the length and the width of Christ's love for us. Meditation and Christian community. That's what I want to encourage you to, to practice as you move forward being full of the fullness of God. Let's pray.